Hello everyone, thank you for listening to today's message. My name is Pastor Dwayne Life, lead pastor at the Life Point Community Church. What you're going to hear today is a message from one of our recent services. And we believe that by listening to today's message, you're going to be blessed and encouraged from the Word of God. You're going to be strengthened, and we believe that God's going to speak to you in a very fresh, new, and real way through today's message. So thanks again for listening. Be blessed and encouraged, and we love you. God bless. We the people believe these truths. God is the creator of everything. Yes, everything. Earth and sky. What is below and what is beyond. All that we see moving. And even those things we don't see. God created it all. And we believe that God created humans. All of us. And we are all created equal in the sight of God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was born of a virgin. We believe that He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died, and was burned. We believe that was not the end. We believe He rose again, and when He did, He ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. We believe that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And we believe that there is forgiveness for our sins through Jesus. We believe that he has called each of us to live a life worthy of his name. A life of sacrifice. What is this life? It's a life of love and truth and grace. A life that speaks by actions as much as words. A life that is marked by His life. And we believe that God is here with us now. Because we are His church. And this is our creed. Well, for those of you who don't know, I'm Mikey. I am Pastor Dwayne's oldest and best-looking son. <laughs> uh, and I lead the youth group here at LifePoint. We're in the middle of our sermon series called The Creed. Uh, we're on our third week of the series. Our first week was what we believe about God. Our second was what we believe about the church. And third week, we're doing. And early on, when me and my dad were discussing what we're going to do with this series, what the graphic was going to look like, he's like, well, why don't I do what we believe about what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus, and then you can do what we believe about the church. And I was like, well, when I taught last time, we did a church sermon. And I was like, I don't want to do the same thing twice. It's just repetitive. He's like, okay, cool. You do Jesus. And I was like, all right. And then like three and a half minutes later, I was like, oh my gosh, I get one Sunday to cover what we as the body of believers believe about Jesus, the centerpiece of our faith in one Sunday. Describing Jesus in one Sunday is like picking one thing to eat bacon with. It's, you're just not going to do it. 
but we're going to try. Our series text for this is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and we're reading from the New Living Translation. It's all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip us, his people, to do every good work. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come before you and worship you. We thank you that you're a big God who sent his son to reconcile our debt. We pray that you would honor us as we go forward and hear everything you would have us hear. In your awesome name, amen. The part of the creed we're covering today says this. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son. And you can follow along in your bulletin, by the way. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. As I was studying, I'm going to be honest, I was trying my hardest to find a key verse that was not John 3.16. And it, it's a good one. And I was like, I really, I, just, I feel like that's a cop-out because everybody knows that verse. And I couldn't find it. And so we're reading for this, for today, we're reading John 3.14-18, which has 3.16 in it. But <laughs> it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Most people, when they read John 3.16, they, they read it out of the King James Version. And that has the famous word for God saying his only begotten Son. And that's a great word, except like nobody knows what it means. If we read a lineage, which is pretty much a line of saying, this person had this son, this person had this son, this person had this son. The word is begot. So literally, it's the father had a son. Dwayne Lapp begot me. For God, so he begot Jesus. So begot is literally the son of God. So that's what we're starting with. Is that Jesus is the only son of God. Which seems so obvious, but what, what we're going with this is that we believe literally 100% that Jesus was the Son of God. We are believing 100% what the Bible says who He was is who He was. We're believing 100% that when the Bible says He was the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We, as the body of believers, are recognizing 100% those to be 100% truth. We believe that there are no partial truths to this. We believe that it's not, well, he was born of a virgin Mary, but virgin just means young. That's not what virgin means. 
Well, the Hebrew word means no, it doesn't. Do you speak Hebrew? No. Part of this comes with something called the Immaculate Conception. It means that Jesus was 100% conceived by the Holy Spirit. He did not have an earthly father, which ties in to our prophecies. In the book of Isaiah, we're giving a list of prophecies that the Savior would bear. Those included things like he would be born of a virgin. He would be from the lineage of David. And all of these things through the book of Isaiah directly correlate to everything that happened to Jesus Christ. See, when he came as the Son of God, he came fulfilling every single prophecy. See, we don't just recognize all that he did. We recognize all that he fulfilled. Jesus came not only to do good works on this earth, to perform miracles and to save a dying world, but while he was here, every single thing that the prophet said that he would be in the Old Testament, he became in the New Testament, which we believe 100%. All of these facts that I'm throwing at you right now establish the who. Who Jesus was. Who he was on this earth. Who he still is today. In the creed, we read, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. That, this creed is not Scripture. It's not found anywhere in the Bible. It's not canonized text. But it is what we proclaim to be true as we adhere to Christianity. And so if we're going to say we recognize Jesus as who he was to be true, we have to establish what he came to do as being 100% true. And this is where we stumble on where people start getting kind of, uh, where we get iffy when it comes to political correctness, which y'all know I'm a huge fan of. And your second point is, Jesus is the only way to God. No if, ands, or buts, no matter what Oprah told you. So we have so many different religious perspectives that say, well, you know, Jesus was a good, pro, you know, a good teacher. He was a prophet. He was such and such. You know, even Muslims recognize Jesus as who he was. Uh, Muslims are also wrong. People may say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I just, I want to find my own way to heaven. Well, hell's a dry heat. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but, but when we say I'm a Christian, what we're not saying is I believe in Jesus. I believe he came, but... I'm going to live my own brand of Christianity. I'm going to live by my own rules as far as what Jesus taught. I'm going to pick and choose what Jesus taught to be true for me. I don't, I don't, I don't remember there being an option when Jesus came. I don't remember him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, but here's plan B. There, was no, there wasn't a plan B. 
I am the way, the truth, the one and only. Uh, It's like Jesus came, he lived, he died. End of story. And somehow people want to find truth somewhere else. And see, when I have a problem, and someone offers me a solution that I recognize fixes my problem, I don't go looking for another solution. That's stupid. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we have God creating Adam and Eve. They're walking around the garden. They're happy. They're talking to God. They have a one-on-one personal relationship with God. They can walk with God. They can talk with God. They can do whatever they want. They can hang out with God. But God gave them one rule. That's not to eat from this particular tree. And so they go, and they of course, have to eat from the tree. We all know the story. Adam and Eve eat from the tree, which was direct disobedience, which then put a gap between them and God. They can no longer go before God and speak directly with Him. When I was in, in Bible college, we were taught to write this analogy out where we'd write on a piece of paper or on a board where we draw like a, like a canyon and then on one side's you and then on, on one side's God and you, you can't get to God because there's a canyon. And then in the middle we draw a cross and say that Jesus made, made the bridge across so we could cross it. But see, the problem with sin is that we owed a debt. God gave us a set of rules We broke the rules. In order for there to be reconciliation, there had to be a debt that had to be paid. Jesus came for no other reason than to settle a debt. And if I I owe somebody money, if I owe somebody, let's say I own some bank, $1,000, and I ask them, would you take a payment in Hershey Kisses. They're going to laugh at me. If I, if I ask them all kinds of different things, no, they want one thing. There's one solution to this problem, and that's money. And we laugh because it's so absurd, but yet when people find, oh, I need a way to heaven, but Jesus really isn't the way. It's like, seriously? There's a problem in the beginning, what we call the sin debt, Jesus came to reconcile that debt. Therefore, creating a way for man and God to once again be connected. This is the why he was. Why Jesus came. First we have the who, now we have the why. Why Jesus came. He came for no other reason than to reconcile a debt. And when that debt was reconciled, it was done. All we have to do is accept this in what he taught. And and I know so many people want to say, well, you know, Jesus, he was was here, he came, he lived, he died, I believe he rose again. But, you know, when I was five at VBS, I prayed a prayer. And I'm forever saved, and I can live however I want to. I don't think that's what Jesus taught. When I go into the public world, when I go out from these walls, and people know me as Dwayne Leip's son, 
And I say, I am Mikey Lipe, and they know who my dad is. And they know my dad taught me what's right and what's wrong. They know my dad instilled in me good godly values, and I go out and I start acting all kinds of crazy and stupid. Do people look at him and go, he is clearly following his father's teachings. He is clearly honoring what his father taught him. Just because when I was young, I learned something, and when I'm older, I actively deny it, doesn't mean that I still hold to the same values. Doesn't mean that I'm still a good kid. Doesn't mean I'm still a well-behaved human being. And just because when I was little, I prayed a prayer, doesn't mean that I'm still a follower of Christ. If you're not following Christ, you're not a Christian. If you're not actively following what Jesus taught, if you're not actively living the life that he called you to live, that he called us to live, we're not able to call ourselves a Christian. And that's such a hard pill to swallow when we have loved ones that we know say that they're a Christian and we say that we love God, but our lifestyles actively deny who the person of Jesus came to be. It hurts so bad to realize that somebody that we're close to might not be accepting Christ as their Savior. They may say they are, but their lifestyle dictates completely otherwise. And so we recognize that Jesus is the only way to God. And in order to do this, we have to realize that when he came, what he did actually happened. We first must accept that he actually died. And my dad's talked about this a couple times before. Is that some people might say, oh, he was in a coma. No, he was dead. Like, it's almost like they didn't read the crucifixion account. That He was beaten to death. He was hung on a cross and he got stabbed through the heart. He died. We have accurate records outside of the Bible that also can correlate with this. But between now and then, there's a lot of people that died. A lot of people that died. But let's, let's go through when he died. When it says he died, he not only began the reconciliation of our debt, but he also fulfilled many more prophecies. See, when, it, when Jesus came to reconcile the dead, he was the perfect sacrifice. So in order for something to be sacrificed, it has to die. And I think it's so cool, when I was, while I was studying for this, I kind of had this, I was given this idea, it said that death was his weapon against the debt. You know, Jesus chose to come and lay down his life so that we might live. The method he chose to save us, the method that was chosen for him to save us, was dying a horrible, painful death. And just like for all of us, death was final, or death is final. 
but it's not the end. See, that, that debt was paid in final. The debt was, upon the death, the debt was paid, but it wasn't over. Because he was put in a tomb. And when he was put in this tomb, they rolled the big stone. And here's what you have to understand about Romans. Romans didn't like dead people a lot. In fact, the early church, when they would flee from the Roman Empire, they would actually have church in the catacombs where the dead were buried under the streets because Romans were so afraid and their their gods prohibited them so much from going around dead people that they would let Christians go free as long as they were around dead people. So when they rolled that stone in front of the tomb... They were serious. It wasn't a pebble. It wasn't a small rock. It wasn't just a boulder. When a Roman wanted to keep a dead person in, they kept a dead person in. They wanted nothing to do with it. And so we all know that when Jesus came on the third day and rose, the stone was rolled away. Imagine this. Let's say Jesus comes 2,000 years later. Right now, he dies and he's risen again. And... I don't know about y'all, but some people think it's cool to walk around graveyards. I'm not a huge fan. But you're walk- somebody's walking through a graveyard, and it's obviously a grave that had been filled up. There's a tombstone, and there's a mound of dirt and an open coffin. That, that's not an accident. That doesn't just happen. And it's the exact same thing 2,000 years ago. The giant rock didn't just happen. So when Jesus died, he actually died. He was dead for three days. We as Christians recognize that he died in actual death. He was buried in an actual tomb. There was a giant boulder that was actually rolled in the way. And when he rolled, when he rolled, (laughs) when he rose again on the third day, he actually rose from the dead. We recognize as Christians, we recognize as the church that our God came to this earth in the form of a man, lived a life teaching others. He then died a human death and then rose again, all of which we recognize as 100% truth. Our creed that we say says, and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven. So, as we live our lives recognizing that we serve a God big enough that not even death can contain him, we serve a God that's so big that he chose coming to the world and dying to reconcile a debt. We have the audacity to pick and choose his teachings. We want to say, well, I'm going to find my own way. Well, I think it's okay for us to find our own way when we can raise ourselves from the dead. And here's the most important, excuse me, the most important part is that he actually lived. 
Jesus was a real person on this planet who really performed the miracles that it says in the Bible. But Jesus legitimately took a cup of water and turned it into a cup of wine. It wasn't a magic trick. It wasn't uh, some sort of science experiment. Jesus took water and made wine. Jesus took five loaves and two fish and spread it between 5,000 people. We can't take five hot dogs and two buns and feed all y'all. Jesus actually walked on top of water. 100% his feet were walking on water. This was not a trick. Jesus wasn't a con artist. We recognize that Jesus legitimately performed the miracles that the Bible says he did. And he's not, he didn't just actually, actually live. He is actually still living. So we don't serve a dead God. A lot of people on this earth serve a dead God. But not us. It's funny, when you read, if you've ever taken a comparative religions class, about 90% of other religions are based on this one fact, that one dude got in the middle of the woods and had an experience with God, and nobody else ever had one of the same God. I don't know what mushroom he found in the woods. Christianity is also the, one of the only religions, pretty much the only religion, that recognizes that we not only had a God who died and rose again, but everybody can come into direct contact with him right now. And we believe that's true. We believe that God can actually speak to people, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through reading of the Word, whether it's through all kinds of revelation. And see, this is where people start getting comfortable when you say, we believe that God can speak to you. I think when people get the most uncomfortable that God can speak to them is when they're most uncomfortable with what they might hear. If you call into question, I'm not sure if I want God speaking to me, you need to ask yourself, what am I doing that I don't want God to tell me about? See, as, as we live our daily lives, and I think it's so cool because people have known to call me nature boy. Because I love being outside in the woods. And I, and I was, I remember I was real young one time, and I'm out in the woods with my granddad, and we're sitting down, and there's this big old moth lands on a tree. And he goes, look at that moth. And I was like, it's a moth. And he says, no, no, no. He goes, remember, he goes, all these people want to say all this stuff just happened. He goes, now how did that moth know it looked like that tree? How did that moth know to color itself, to look like that specific tree. You know what? It didn't. God made that moth. And I was like, okay, cool. And then as I, as I got older and started looking more in, into the woods and into nature, and you start seeing things that are like, that didn't just happen. You start to see things that are like, how cool is it that we serve a God that made all these beautiful colors, that we serve a God that created all these unique animals and that created all these crazy people how cool is it that we serve a living god who 
has a plan for each and every one of us. How cool is it that we serve a living God that actively has invested himself in every person? See, when it says we are made in his image, it's not like God took a cookie cutter and just stamped out every single person to look like him. And this is probably a good thing, but I have never met somebody else that looked just like me. Everybody was made individual. So that leads me to believe that when Jesus came to save humans, he didn't just save humanity. He saved every human individually. He's the only son of God. He's the only way to God. He actually died. He actually actually lived. He's actually living what we're going to talk about next week. Is he's actually returning. I've read the back of the book. I actually had to take a class on the back of the book. And when God says, for I know the plans I have for you. God wrote a whole lot of plans down. And one of, it, one of them was how this whole thing ends. And if you adhere to everything that we just talked about, if you recognize that Jesus is the only Son of God, we recognize that what He taught was 100% true. We recognize that there are no partial truths in the Bible. We recognize that He is the only way to God, that He actually died, He actually lived. He's still living. And that we need to live for Him. And that He's going to come back. Then the back of the book is no sweat for us. But like I said, hell's a dry heat. So Chris is going to come and play. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Because if we haven't accepted who Christ is. If we haven't accepted God and Jesus as our Savior, if we haven't heard the voice of God, if we haven't recognized who He truly is, then I want you to have an opportunity to do so. And maybe if you have and you know somebody who hasn't, and that hurts you to know that, I want to give you an opportunity to pray for them as well. You see, I don't want there to ever be a time when we come into this awesome place and void someone the opportunity of making Jesus our Lord and Savior forever. Not give somebody the chance to recognize this amazing person we call Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to forever change their life. I don't want to ever... Let the opportunity escape for somebody to make an eternal decision. Because how many know we're not promised tomorrow? With that, Father God, we do thank you. God, we pray for those who want to make a decision to accept you. We want to pray for those who want to turn over a new leaf to recognize you as the true God. 
God, I pray that as people may be asking questions, God, that they would look to you for the answers. God, as people are searching for so many things in this world, God, that they will be led to you. God, that they would see the beauty of creation, that they would see the wonders of this world that you've made, that they would see the awesomeness of who you are. God, I pray for every person in this building as they go out, that they would lead an example to their friends, family, and co-workers of who you truly are. That they would not only say that they're a Christian, but they would show other people with their actions who Jesus is. That they would show other people what it's like to know the answer, to know who the answer is. I pray, God, that you would absolutely just surround these people with your presence, that you would surround all of us with your presence. So you're the God of peace and you're the God of understanding. And God, I pray for those who might be running from you. God, I pray for those who are in active denial of who you are. I pray that you would let their eyes be open to those who are leading the right example, that to those who want to see their lives change. God, we pray all of these things in your awesome and holy name. And everybody said a great big amen.